Perhaps you've heard the rule of three. And this rule of three is carried forth, for example, in storytelling. You'll have an antagonist that then has to relate to three. Uh, for example, the story of the wolf and the three little pigs, right? Or what about that little girl who broke into the bear's house, stole their food, sat in their chair, and messed up their bed? It's Goldilocks and the three bears, right? Now, the rule of three is also in terms of memorization. Did you know it's easier to memorize in groups of three than it is to memorize one thing or four things or two things? It's easier to memorize in groups of three than it is in fours or twos or even one, that, that memorization. For example, the Declaration of Independence. Now, most of us cannot say by heart the Declaration of Independence, but we have memorized three things out of it, right? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Well, I thought you had memorized. I'm not so sure now, right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. You think about the number three, it's about completeness. It's a balance. For example, when we talk about ourselves, it's body, soul, spirit, right? What about the parables of Jesus? Many of, of Jesus' parables have that idea of three. For example, the prodigal son, the elder brother, and the loving father. What about the parable of the talents? The servant who has 10 talents, the one who has five talents, the one who has one talent. The story of the Good Samaritan. You have the Good Samaritan, you have what? The priest and the Levite. So things in three, sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It was on the third hour that he was put on the cross. There was darkness for the last three hours that he was on the cross. There's three days and three nights between the cross and the grave and before he's raised from the dead. All those that are there. Now, there's a lot of other threes used in the Bible. You can look up for yourself. It's kind of interesting. But I want to talk to you today about this big grouping of three that are very easy to remember, that tell a story, and that deal with completeness. And there are three words, faith, hope, and love. Those three remain. Faith, hope, and love. They are completeness. They're wholeness. They're easy to remember. A world in which we live that's quite broken, a world that needs redemption, a world that needs that wholeness, it's what God offers us, right? Faith, hope, and love. It's what we need. We, we need to believe, don't we? We need to have hope. We need to have that love that's there. And this faith, hope, and love, they are interconnected. They go together. When you come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to look at several of these groupings today, but this is the primary verse. I want you to see how these are connected together. Paul thanks God for these Christians in Thessalonica because their work has been produced by their faith, their labor has been prompted by their love, and their endurance has been inspired by their hope. Isn't that beautiful phrasing there when you look at it? Easy to remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. They all go together. Each one has its own individual purpose. Faith has its purpose, and love has its purpose, right? And hope has its purpose, but they're all together uplifting us and connecting that completeness. Now, the key in this verse is the last part, right? Your faith produced by faith, your labor 
prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in him that we have this, that key phrase, faith and hope and love in Christ Jesus. Our faith in Christ, our love of Christ, and our hope that's found in Christ Jesus. So let's look at the first one. Your work is produced by faith. Your work that's produced by faith. Now, in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, we know that we're justified by faith, right? We're justified by faith. And Paul will go on to tell the Ephesians that this is done, our faith, we're saved by faith, by a grace in God. It's not our own doing. It's not by our own works, lest anyone of us would brag about it. But rather, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. When we're justified by our faith, then we enter into God's loving relationship where he's created as his workmanship great works that we can all be part of. In Hebrews 11, it says, look, faith is the assurance and confidence of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, right? It also says in Hebrews 11 that faith is the understanding of how this universe was formed and created. If you have faith, you understand that God created everything. He formed it all. And then in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, if you want to please God, you must have faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek after him. Justified by faith, that faith that's assurance and confidence and understanding that pleases God. And that's why in James chapter 2, James says, look, your faith must produce works, right? Your faith must produce that because faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. Faith is active. It's alive. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I love the story in Luke chapter 7 of the centurion. Do you remember this story? The centurion had a servant that had become very ill. And the centurion sends some elders of the Jewish synagogue to come to Jesus, to ask Jesus to come to his house so that the servant might be healed. And the elders arrive there where Jesus is. And they tell Jesus, this centurion wants you to come to his house. He deserves for you to go there because he's such a good man and he's helped build our synagogue. So you, he deserves for you to come to his house. Now, Jesus still goes to the house in spite of that language, right? Notice the language of works. Look what he's done, so therefore he should deserve this back from God. Well, as he gets closer to the house, friends of the centurion now arrive and talk to Jesus. And they tell Jesus, the centurion does not want you to come to his house. The centurion does not feel worthy for you to even be inside his house. In fact, the centurion believes that you have the authority to heal his servant without even coming to his house. I'm a centurion, he says, and I have the authority. I speak it. It happens. I believe you'll just speak the word that he'll be healed. And when Jesus hears those words from those friends of the centurion, do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus was absolutely amazed, and he said, I have not seen such a great faith in all of Israel. Now, that was faith in action, right? Just speak the word, and those things will happen. Your faith produces works. Your labor, Paul says, when you go to Thessalonians again, is what prompts, your labor is prompted by love. Your love for God but it's also that idea of it involves labor to love, doesn't it? Your labor prompted by love. Love is more than a feeling. 
That's where people get so hung up in our world, right? Well, I don't feel like I love you anymore. I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. So you quit making the effort. You just kind of walk away from it. Love is more a decision than it is a feeling. Now, obviously, feelings are involved in love, and there's different types of love. But love's a decision that you make, and with every decision you make, it requires labor. It requires that effort to put that into that, that love. Usually we read 1 Corinthians 13 when you go to a wedding. It deserves more than just being read at a wedding, right? That's, we go to a wedding, we hear 1 Corinthians 13, the entire chapter, the, the language of love. But I want you to hear it today from the idea of love is work. It's an effort, a labor of love. Love always protects. That requires labor, right? Love always trusts. This does not mean that you're naive and you trust everybody who's broken trust. And there goes it. All right. It means that in spite of everything, you hold on to your faith. Faith is trusting. Love always hopes. That takes effort and labor. And love always endures, even when you feel like giving up. Now, in those words, you hear the idea that love, love is what can prompt us in life. But the labor in that is who we love and how we love. Let's face it, some people are easier to love than others, right? If, if someone loves you back, it's easier for you to love them. It's easier for you to do this work that's mentioned here in these verses, right? Um, in a church family, we, we have a lot of people in our church family. We don't know everybody, but we're, not, we're told we're to love one another, right? That's what Christ tells us to do. We, we love our friends in a certain way. We're told to love our neighbor. See, now each layer you get to, that love that we are to make that decision for that Jesus says is prompted, our, our labor is prompted by that love. It requires more and more effort, doesn't it? And I haven't gotten to the part where Jesus says we're to love our enemies. See that? How do we do that? Well, we're prompted by the love of God within us, how God loves us. We love others the way God loves us. We love differently, but it requires that labor. And that labor is motivated, is prompted by that love. Then the third thing he says is that your endurance is inspired by hope. Paul will make a statement that if you don't have Christ in this world, you don't have any hope. You think about that. Without Christ, there is no hope in this world. Everything else you put your trust in, it's going to fall. It's going to be an illusion. Only Christ is the true hope, the steadfast hope. We endure things in this life by being inspired by our hope in Christ. And Paul says that our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ will never, ever disappoint us. Do you believe that? So you have a work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the big three, all right? And this is your evidence that you are a Christian. When I was growing up, there used to be a phrase you'd hear oftentimes from preachers in the pulpit. Right? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Did you ever hear that growing up? It was during the Cold War, what if the Russians came in and they took over our country and you were arrested for being a Christian? Would they have enough evidence to convict you? I grew up all these, those lives. They're building the bomb shelters and there was that Cold War Never dreamed that the war was going to be from within our own country and not from without, but that's a different subject, right? But the idea being here, if you are arrested for being a Christian, 
Would there be enough evidence to convict you? And what evidence would you produce to show that you're a Christian? Well, remember, John tells us that Jesus is our advocate, right? He's our defense attorney. So Jesus is going to present this evidence. He says, I know that you're a Christian based upon your work that's produced by faith, your labor that's prompted by your love, and your endurance inspired by your hope that's in me. That's the evidence there. Jesus is our advocate. Now, remember, Jesus is not only our advocate, he's also our judge, right? So let's go to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Remember the seven churches in Revelation? How did Jesus judge those seven churches? Based upon what? Faith, hope, and love. Just think about those seven. I'm not going through all seven today. But if you think about five of those seven churches came under judgment because there was a problem with their faith or with their love or in their hope. And this is what Jesus says, I will judge. Those big three... In other words, that's the evidence that you are a child of God. Now let's go back to the big three again and notice that faith, hope, and love are what guard us. They're what guard our hearts. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want you to see this. the second time that Paul will use faith, hope, and love in the scriptures here in Thessalonians. And what he talks about is this, that the day of the Lord, when it happens, it's going to come like a thief in the night. But you're not going to be surprised by that because you are children of the light. You are children of the day. You're not belonging to the darkness. So therefore, you're going to stay awake and be sober. You're going to be on guard. And then he writes, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting faith and love as a breastplate and the hope as our salvation. So I want you to look at that next uh, slide there where it shows this armor that we're wearing. We're, this is guarding us. In 1 Thessalonians, every single chapter says something about the return of Christ. <clears throat> and in this particular chapter, it's dealing with the idea, be prepared, stay awake, be alert in this life. Don't let the enemy, the devil, steal your faith, your hope, or your love. Don't get sidetracked. Don't let the fear of the darkness of this world overwhelm your faith in God and your optimism and the way you should live your abundant life. Don't fear the darkness. Be prepared. Stand guard. How? The faith and love is your breastplate protecting your heart, and your hope is the helmet protecting your mind. See that? So it guards you through life. When you're feeling fearful, you feel like evil's winning, you guard your heart with faith and love and guard your mind with the hope that you have in Christ. Does that make sense? So that, that's how they relate. Now let's go to another one, Hebrews chapter 10, 22 through 24. Here's the big three again. I love this verse. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So in 1 Thessalonians, we have our evidence. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, we, it says how it guards us. But here's how we grow. And th this is so important here. See the connection. When guilt and sin enter into my heart and my mind, what can I do? He says, you draw near to God. He's the one who cleanses you. He's the one that forgives you. 
When I begin to doubt or when the cares of this world are beginning to overwhelm me, what, what do I do? He says, let us remember the promises of God that he is faithful and hold on to the hope that you have. Don't swerve from it. What do I do when I grow weary of doing good? And it seems like it's not doing any good at all. He says, here's what you do. You serve each other in love and consider how to spur one another on towards those good deeds. You encourage each other. So look at that connection. When you're losing hope, you draw near to God in faith and love. When you're fearful instead of faith, you hold fast to the hope and you continue to do the right thing, serving in love. And when you grow weary of doing good, what can you do? See, here's what you do. God is faithful and rewards those who do good unto others. So in any area of your life, when faith is becoming a little bit troublesome, hold on to the hope. Continue to serve, right? When you don't feel like serving, what do you do? You feed your faith. You hold on to the hope. When you're having trouble with hope, you exercise the faith. You keep doing the right thing. See how all those are connected? That's how the Hebrew writer says, let us do that. Draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope and let us spur one another on towards good's work. Faith, hope, and love make me whole. They make me complete to grow my relationship with God and others. Faith assures me. Hope steadies me. Hope spurs me. A love spurs me on. And that's why these are the big three. Now, earlier I went to 1 Corinthians 13, and some of you got really uncomfortable because I didn't finish it, right? I said, wait a minute, you missed the most important verse in 1 Corinthians. Yeah, I did. But I saved it for a reason, right? Because you have this grouping in 1 Corinthians 13 of faith, hope, and love, right? These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But... The greatest is what? Love. The greatest is love. All three are absolutely important. All three are the evidence. It's what guards us and causes us to grow. And all three at certain points in our life will take the lead. Your faith will sometimes take the lead. Your hope will sometimes take the lead. Right? Your love will sometimes take the lead. And we just mentioned Hebrews, how they work together to encourage us. But at the end of everything, when all is said and done, of the big three, faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. Why? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love never fails. Love never fails. Love is unending. Love will always remain. Love will always abide. I love that Jeremiah tells us that God, who is love, loves us with an everlasting love, that his love for us is unfailing. Isn't it good to know that God is, God is love and he loves us that way? Love never fails. It's everlasting. Well, what about prophecies? Well, prophecies are good, but prophecies will do what? Eventually cease, right? They'll serve their purpose in the church and they'll cease. What about speaking in different languages to reach all the world for Christ in different languages by the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues? They're very important. They serve their purpose in the early church. But speaking in tongues, those different languages, what happens to them? They're still. Prophecies go away, right? Speaking in tongues go away. What about love? Love never fails. When this life is done 
and this old world, this universe is dissolved into the new heaven and new earth. Faith and hope will have served their purpose, and all that will remain is love. There's no faith, there's no hope in the new heaven and new earth. They serve their purpose. And here's how Paul continues. Hope, notice, we know and prophesy in part, right? Then hope is realized, right? When completeness comes, what, hap- what disappears? See? What is in part will disappear. When completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. There will come a day when hope is no longer needed because of what we hope for is now reality. It's here, right? It's here and now. I have it now. It's full, fully realized. It's my reality. Paul continues, for now we see only a reflection in a mirror. Our sight is limited. It's not complete. Seen dimly. So that's why Paul says we have to walk by faith and not by what? Sight. But there will come a day when faith has served its purpose and faith becomes sight. And that's what Paul says, right? We shall see what? Face to face. Not a mirror, but we shall see face to face. And then Paul writes, now I know in part, but I shall fully know. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you have it and you know fully, it no longer requires faith. I love the God who does that for me, don't you? So faith will go. It serves its purpose. Hope will serve its purpose of the three. But what happens to love? Love never ends. It is unfailing. It is the greatest of the three. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. We need all three, faith, hope, and love. May your life exhibit evidence that would convict you of being a Christian, right? Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. May your life be guarded by the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of your salvation. May you grow in faith, hold fast to your hope, and spur each other on to love and good deeds. Four, when our Lord returns, and he will, that's our hope that's stored up for us in heaven, faith will become sight, hope becomes reality, and that love, that love will always, always be eternal. Amen? I hope this lesson has inspired you this morning, encouraged you. May we be people who want to produce work by faith and labor prompted by love and be inspired for endurance by our hope. If we can help you in any way this morning, if you'd like to respond to the Lord's invitation and and talk to one of our elders, please get with them after the service or you can meet with one of them up front as we sing this next song. Let's stand and sing this song together.